Would you please join me in standing this morning as we confess our faith together through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us confess together this morning. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the 13th chapter of the letter written to the Hebrews where we are going to be looking together this morning at verses 1 through 8. That's Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 8. And though we'll be reading the first eight verses, our focus primarily this morning is just going to be verses 1 through 3. Well, beloved, you can all breathe a sigh of relief. We have finally arrived at what will be the last chapter in our look together at this most important epistle of sacred scripture. And like so many of the other chapters of this letter, I'm going to mention to you here at the outset of chapter 13 that there is at least one pernicious error that exists regarding these closing comments here in the final chapter of Hebrews. Many commentators look at this last chapter as just being a sort of appendix to the entire letter. Just some random afterthoughts that the writer wanted to make certain that he did not fail to mention to uh, his hearers. I think, however, that upon a closer examination, you're going to find that what is said here in chapter 13 is really but a continuation of where the writer was heading in chapter 12. You'll remember that this letter, as it was originally written, contained nothing like these chapter breaks or even these individual verse distinctions that you and I have become so accustomed to in our own reading of the Word of God. This was actually a letter. It was written to a specific people, and it was written in a format that looked very much like a letter that you or I would pen today. And so we need to shake off the notion that the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next chapter always implies a change in direction. Or that it indicates that one exhortation has ended and that another is now beginning. Last week we saw that chapter 12 ends with this idea that Almighty God in His great mercy has made us a part of something that is far greater than we as individuals are. We are part of a specific kingdom, a kingdom that has no equal, 
No real parallel in this world. And it is a kingdom that we are told that cannot and that will not ever be shaken loose from its foundation. Its foundation is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we are told in Scripture repeatedly that he is a rock that cannot and that will not ever be moved. And so we have to think about what that means. We are, by nature of our union with him, immovable in him. And so we are encouraged to live in light of that knowledge. To live without fear of God's wrath, without the constant anxieties that seem to so often plague us when we remove our eyes from our King and His kingdom. The world will one day be shaken loose from this kingdom, even though it has dug in its claws, so to speak, right now. Even those things within each one of us, those things that simply do not belong to or within servants of this kingdom, will be shaken loose eventually. But ultimately, we are told that those things which cannot be shaken will remain for eternity. Such is the nature of the kingdom of Almighty God in Jesus Christ. God is placing before us in this troubled life, a life where we are to see that we are but pilgrims passing through this world, going home towards our home in glory. God has placed before us in this life trials. He is testing the faith of his people by fire. Not in order to consume us, but in order to consume our dross, to remove it. And to refine us. He disciplines us because of his love. Not because of his wrath. His wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ in our place. That's the glory of the gospel. We need to understand it. He is removing from our lives the dross. And he is molding and making and shaping us into the image of his beloved son. And so, we do not despair when things get difficult. We do not give up when things get tough. We do not grow weary in our well-doing. We do not flee the refining fire of God. But seeing it for what it is, we embrace it as the love of the Father for His children, and we press on. Because he loves his church, he sanctifies us as we pass through this often difficult life, as we press on towards final glorification in Zion. Motivated by the life-giving, satisfying, cleansing wind blowing forth from Zion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what moves us. That's what motivates us. The writer says on the heels of all of this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We've been driving that point home for weeks now. 
We do not seek lives that are free from any trouble, free of any conflict, free of any difficulty, and then claim that we are doing so because we're trying to live by the highest Christian virtue, which under this system is usually the pursuit of my own personal happiness and my own satisfaction in this life. Listen to me, beloved, because I think this type of attitude is absolutely destroyed here in Hebrews. The pursuit of your own happiness, your own satisfaction, your own success in this life is not the highest Christian virtue. In fact, I hope to make it clear to you this morning that it is an anti-Christian virtue altogether. It's not that Almighty God is not provided for our delight, for our joy, for our comfort in this life. He most certainly has and He does. However, it is but the byproduct of our salvation and not at all the primary goal of our salvation. You understand the difference. We are never called in Scripture to take care of number one first and then see what we have left in the tank for others. In fact, Scripture repeatedly calls, up, calls not for the sustaining of, but for the death of self. And it makes us nervous to hear that, doesn't it? It sounds downright un-American. Yet it is an undeniable fact if we are even casual readers of the Bible. And of course, it begs a profoundly serious question be answered. If the pursuit of personal happiness is not the highest virtue in life, the highest pursuit in the Christian life, then what is? If God is interested in far more than just personal peace and fulfillment of my own household, then what is He calling us to in this life? What is the highest Christian virtue? Well, beloved, we've talked about it many times before, and I hope you know where this is going. What is the highest Christian virtue? It's love. Love is the effect of the gospel upon those who have tasted its power. The writer of this Christ-exalting letter, on the heels of describing the nature of the church of Jesus Christ, gives to us a picture of what indeed it will and does look like. And he begins here with this picture of life in the church of Jesus Christ. Life lived out in the unshakable kingdom of God. And he makes it very clear that it must always be a place that is characterized by love. So let us look together at the word of God this morning. I'd like you to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Again, we'll be focusing primarily on just the three three first verses, first three verses. Hear now the word of our Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. This is the the reading of the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to come to your word this morning. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of all of those things that distract us in this life. May we give our undivided attention to the truth of your word and hearing it. May we be transformed by it for your glory. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason that we are reading these first eight verses here, rather than just the first three verses, is because I think that the division of this final chapter would look something like this. This closing chapter is all about the church of Jesus Christ. The first eight verses deal with life within the church. Verses 9 through 14 then look at the church as it exists in the world. 15 through 19 expound upon what what is to be our sacrifice to Almighty God in the church. And finally in verses 20 and 21 we have that remarkably familiar benediction. And so for the next two or three weeks we are going to be focusing on that first section on life within the church of Jesus Christ. And as I've already mentioned to you, the writer opens this discussion with these powerful and very thought-provoking words. Let brotherly love continue. If you were to see this word in the original Greek in which this letter was originally penned, this word that is rendered here as brotherly love would undoubtedly look very familiar to all of you. The Greek word that is used here is Philadelphia. It is a word, it is a compound word formed from the words phileo, which means love, and adelphoi, which means brethren. We have a city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, which is called the city of brotherly love. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, we find that there is a church that goes by this name. And it is a church that has persevered to the glory of God. A church who is known by God positively for its works. And that is apparently aptly named for its brotherly love. So the writer begins his discussion of life inside the unshakable kingdom of God. With this comment on the vital importance of this virtue always being present. You notice, he does not say that we are to strive for brotherly love. He does not recommend that they even find brotherly love. He does not move them towards creating brotherly love. But he assumes from the outset that in the persevering church of Jesus Christ, love not only is already there, but it will by nature of what it is continue. 
And the church of Jesus Christ, this universal mark, will always be present, making the church stand out in distinction from the world. You understand, we've talked about this love many times. This is an outward love. It's a love which flows outward towards others. It's not the inward love of self that is so prevalent in the world. This is the thing that Jesus himself commanded his disciples saying that it was this mark of love that would make the church recognizable in this world. In John 13 verse 35 where Jesus says to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Beloved, I want to ask you, have you ever given this any thought? Have you ever spent any time meditating on this wonderful truth about life in the kingdom of God? It's very interesting to note that if prior to reading what we just read, if I were to go around the sanctuary and I were to ask you to give me one thing that you think should stand out as the singular most important mark of the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, I wonder how many of us would have answered that question with the one word, love. I would imagine we would have said things like discipline, We would have said things like sacraments, right doctrine, the assurance of the saints, the blessing of God upon its people, our focus on evangelism, our missionary zeal. Maybe even some of us would have pointed to its history, its clear perseverance in the faith for a time as the thing that marks the church as legitimate. But you see, beloved, although all of those things are good things, necessary things that must indeed be present, I would tell you this morning that they all flow from this virtue, the virtue of the love among the brethren in Jesus Christ, this love. Right discipline must flow from this love. Right doctrine indeed must promote this love. Evangelistic and missionary zeal must flow from a fervent love for fellow image bearers to be restored, to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And any history of perseverance must be founded upon the love of the brethren, first for their God, then recognized as it is poured out from one another towards its membership. And it really goes well beyond even its membership, doesn't it? Look at what the writer to this, of this letter to the Hebrews says in verse 2. He says, now after speaking about this love, he says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. That word entertain has lost its weight in our current language and culture. The writer is not saying that we have a duty to entertain strangers to see to it that they have a good time. It's a much more comprehensive word than just that. He's talking about the need for genuine hospitality to be flowing out from God's people 
towards others. We are to be people who by nature of the love of Jesus Christ being shed abroad in our hearts, we are to be people who are eager to love others. Not just in word, but in deed. He undoubtedly has in mind here Abraham and Lot. Both men were eager to ease the burdens of travelers who happened upon their homes. They did not cling too tightly to their own family's provision of food and shelter, but they gladly opened up their stores to perfect strangers. And you know the story from Genesis 18. Both of these men, quite literally, unwittingly entertained angels in doing so. Now understand, this is not a call for us to go out in some sort of mystical pursuit of angels or to even begin looking under every rock for them. It's quite simply a call to love even as we have been loved. In fact, if we are doing this, then we know that we have entertained something greater even than the angels in doing so. We have entertained men and women and children who have been made in the image of Almighty God. Have you ever thought about that? It goes back to what the writer was saying in chapter 12. We are surrounded by the citizens of Zion. We are sitting here this morning with fellow citizens of Zion who though they may be in varying varying stages in their own sanctification processes, will one day be glorified with us in Zion. They will make up that great white-robed throng who will gather at the foot of the throne of the Lamb of God. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, even tells us that we have unwittingly entertained Him when we have looked to the needs, to the least of these. The point is simple. Beloved, we are to be known for our love. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet the truth is our flesh is repulsed by the very idea. And so we search in vain for any other thing to be our distinctive mark. Francis Schaeffer Schaeffer in his book, The Mark of the Christian, says this. Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are, in fact, Christians. They have worn masks. They have worn marks, rather, in the lapels of their coats. They have hung chains about their necks. They've even had special haircuts. But there is a much better sign. It is the universal mark that is to last through the ages of the church until Jesus Christ comes back. And that mark is love. Beloved, love is the thing that serves as the most integral part of our witness. Though we try in vain to find it in so many other peripheral things, Scripture itself is very clear. Love is the thing that marks out the disciples of Jesus Christ. But I wonder how many of us honestly believe that. You see, the difficult thing about this kind of love that's being pointed out to us here is that it is something that cannot be manufactured, at least not indefinitely. You might think that you possess it, then find out how easy it is for you to divide 
over trivial matters. Someone does not do things the way you do them. Someone does not look the way you think they should look. Someone has actually offended you. Someone does not deal with things in the exact same way that you do. And you become irritated. You just wish they would get their act together and be a little bit more like you think they should act, like you think they should look. If they would just try a little bit harder to live up to your expectations, then you would gladly love. Or at least that's what we tell ourselves until the next infraction occurs. We tend to rule over these little passive-aggressive kingdoms where we set ourselves up as rulers over our own little empires of dirt, judging more by the constant failing of some to meet our unspoken expectations rather than clear edicts. Beloved, I'm asking you this morning, does that sound familiar? Is this the love that ought to be present in the church of Jesus Christ? Conditional love based upon the meeting of our own expectations. Is the church of Jesus Christ a body that must look exactly the same? Do we all have a uniform mark that we wear? Crosses, tattoos, hairstyles, family practices, home decor, or the way in which we educate our children? Are we to part with one another over these kinds of things? And the answer is no. The mark should be love. Love for one another, love for the strangers within our gates. Not just a theoretical love, but an active love. Love that desires, that delights to be involved in one another's lives. Love that gives rather than receives. Love that delights in giving away our possessions rather than seeing how much we can amass for ourselves in a lifetime. This love. The love that the writer is pointing us towards. The love that the Apostle Paul was so desirous to see in the church. The love that Jesus Christ himself commanded. This love takes joy in pursuing the comforts of others. And you look at me this morning and you say, you know, okay, Steve. All right, I'll bite. How do we do it? How do we let go of our desire to provide first and foremost for our own needs? How do we beat back the flesh's constant cry to first fill my own bank account, my own retirement, my own refrigerator and freezer to meet my and my own family's needs? I mean, there is such a thing as good stewardship, right? You're not suggesting that I behave foolishly and recklessly and that I watch my own family starve, are you? Beloved, the answer is simple. And it's equally painful to hear. How do we do it? How do we exemplify this kind of love? We must get over ourselves. I can't say it any clearer than that. Scripture does not ever call us to self-preservation. It calls us to self-death. 
Why? Two reasons. The first is so that we can learn to trust in the sovereign, providential God who has sworn in His Word to take, care for, to take care of us. We must learn to live in dependence upon God. Second, so that we can come to the place in life where we realize that nothing in this fleeting world of which we are but pilgrims actually belongs to us. You understand why I would say that? I want to be clear. The breath that you sucked into your lungs this morning, the very air that is sustaining your life right now, it's not yours, nor is it owed to you. Let alone all of our supposed material things. You understand what I'm saying? All of these things that we enjoy in this life, they are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. They may be part of God's providence for you and for your family. They may be part of his providence even for your neighbor. But they all belong to God and not to you. God is not setting up your tiny little kingdom and adorning it with vessels of your honor. Everything we have in this life is the gift of God. And when we lose sight of that fact, all our things quickly become our idols. Idols that we will sacrifice for. Idols that we will live for. Idols that we bow before, that we serve with our whole hearts. How tightly do you hold on to what you think is yours? It will help you to see whether this love dominates you and motivates you. Or, what, or whether it is simply the love of self that is moving you to behave the way you do. You see, beloved, the remedy is not to go and sell all that you have and thus prove your seriousness to God. and To let that seriousness then be your mark. That's not the message here. The mark is that it is your delight. It is your comfort, it is your joy to freely give of your blessings, to edify, supply, and actively in some tangible way love your neighbor. Which, by the way, even includes strangers. Jesus answered the question of who is my neighbor with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We simply do not have the time to go into it this morning, but I'll trust that you're familiar with it. Your neighbors are your fellow image bearers. And your delight ought to be actively loving them, even as a holy God actively loves wretches like you and I. And it's so much bigger than just being about our possessions. I want you to hear what I'm saying. The people of God ought to be a delight in your life. The people you're sitting here with this morning We ought to delight in sharing in their joys. You should be overjoyed to be able to share in something as precious as the baptism of Piper Ann this morning. It's a blessing. God's gifted us with this kind of thing. Jealousy has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be marked by this kind of love. We ought to speak for the good of one another's names. I'm going to tell you right now, gossip 
belongs and is rooted to this world and to the kingdom of self-promotion and it is not part of this unshakable kingdom that is built upon the love of Jesus Christ who could easily accuse us daily before the Father. We have certainly earned such accusation. We merit it in our sin, yet Jesus Christ succeeded where we failed and he covers us with his perfect righteousness and now we are told he commends us before the Father as those who belong to his beloved bride, the church. Gossip has no place in that. We ought to be filled with compassion for one another. Knowing better than anyone what the struggle with the flesh is really like. No one here lives above it. Impatience and its resulting condescension have no place in the kingdom of God. They too will be those things that are shaken loose in the last day. You ought to pray for, even long for the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ for yourself. I want to tell you, beloved, covering up our infirmities, covering up our Weaknesses that really has no place in the kingdom of God. Pride will not remain when the shaking begins. Do you get the point? We are told to take what we think we hold dear and we are to drag it into the piercing light of God's word and we are to make adjustments. So I'm asking you, what does your work look like in this light? What does your love look like in this light? Far too many people think that Christianity is about building fortresses and keeping all of the evil outside, keeping it away. So we just erect walls around us and we look down our collective noses at all those degenerates out there that aren't like us. Failing to realize that the only way to actually protect our fortress from being soiled with the stain of sin would be to have never entered it ourselves. Building walls only isolates us in our sin from the love of the body which we all so desperately need. Which we all should desire like we desire the air that we breathe. So the writer of this Christ-exalting epistle says, Look, do you want to enjoy life in the church of Jesus Christ? Let brotherly love continue. What does this mark look like? I'll close this morning giving you food, I hope, for meditation in the days that lie ahead. Once again, by the grace of our merciful Lord, we do not have to grope about in the dark for this answer. Really, the Bible is filled with pictures of this love in action. And I'll give you just one in closing, one that I am quite sure is familiar to most of you. We've been here before. You see, Paul gives to us a portrait of this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is describing the love of God that flows from his children to one another by nature of new life in Jesus Christ. He's not describing romantic love. I don't care how many times you've been told that. That's not the picture in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love of Christ flowing to our fellow believers, to those that God has placed us around. And I want you to listen to what Paul says as he describes this love, not with flowery adjectives, but with verbs, with action words. Listen to what he says. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know even as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Beloved, what mark of which kingdom do you truly wear? The mark of brotherly love, as it is described here, is the greatest mark we could ever wear. It speaks far more about your being a true follower of Jesus Christ than any mark that you could ever invent or put on. The question is not so much, are you being loved in this way? The question is, do you love in this way? You're not being called here to judge the church. You're being called to judge your own heart. Is your life adorned with the love of Jesus Christ? died upon the cross despite your unloveliness, despite the fact that you continue to sin, even as a recipient of this amazing love. This is the extent that Jesus loves us. He willingly took our penalty, he took our sin and our shame, and he gave us new life in him, eternal life, full life, expectant, hopeful life. Do you wear the mark? Of another kingdom. One which will certainly cease. Once the shaking begins. One that is marked with whatever you think should be the mark. A kingdom of self ruled by your own thoughts. And your own expectations. One that both begins and ends in death. What is your kingdom really? And what should it look like? And who really is your king? Beloved, hold up your ideals to this list. And if they fall short, by the magnificent grace of Almighty God, repent 
and look up to the love of Jesus Christ. Join yourself to his body. Be comforted. Find rest and peace and joy. And by the grace of God, let brotherly love continue to the glory of Almighty God. Amen? Let's pray.